if we had surveyed you on the way in today, or let's say when we handed out ballots, we took a little survey, and you were asked the question, are we judged according to our works or by our faith? Are we judged according to our works? The vast majority of evangelical Christians would answer, no, we're not judged by our works. And you'd be thinking, we hear all the time about grace, about faith, but works? Well, we would be within the pale of uh, what I've just said, evangelical Christians, and uh, by definition, an evangelical Christian is one who uh, believes the Bible to be the Word of God, to be inspired, infallible, and therefore authoritative, and that's, that's how we understand the Bible here at St. Andrews. And so for the answer to that question, uh, the place to go is the Word of God. So let's see what the answer is in this portion we're going to read in Romans chapter 2. As we're continuing on our study in Romans, if you're visiting with us, we're going straight through uh, the book, and we're picking up with verse 6, and here's what the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. This is the word of God. Let's bow together. Lord, today would you, in these moments... Give us an understanding, an understanding of why you said this, why you saw fit to have it recorded for the church in Rome, and for believers down through the centuries, including us today. We need to hear from you, from your spirit, and so help us to focus, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Point number one. 
I nor I norm if you're visiting, I normally don't do that. I don't I don't usually start that way, but but I got to emphasize this. Everyone will be judged by our works. Verse six: He will render to each one according to his works. What in the world? Please, if you're questioning where we're coming from, don't leave. You've got to stay through this. Every week, Dale, you tell us we're not saved by our works, but we're saved by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life. In fact, <clears throat> just 20 verses earlier, the Apostle Paul made it very clear that it's not about the law. It's not about keeping the law. That it's about the righteousness of Christ that we don't have in and of ourselves. So has, has the apostle changed his mind? Have you, Dale, changed your mind on this? Did he forget what he said? I assure you, that's not the case. Is he contradicting himself? Is he contradicting everything we teach here and, 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 and other places in, in the Scripture and other places that he teaches about salvation by grace through faith? First of all, this point that we're going to be judged by our works is a point that's made 20 other times in the New Testament. This is not a new concept that he's introducing here. Now let's look at the verse and uh, uh, the passage. First of all, we need to know that he seems to be quoting from Psalm 62. And so that might help us to understand. Remember, he's talking to Jews and Greeks, so the Jews at least would be familiar with Psalm 62. Psalm 62, verse 12 says, For you will render to a man according to his work. And then in Psalm 62, the context of, of that statement about rendering uh, to a man according to his work, uh, the context is he gives two kinds of people. Uh, uh, he speaks of two kinds of people in that psalm. Uh, one kind that take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. And if you were here last week, you may remember that's the kind of person we were talking about. Remember the, the religiously hypocritical person. And so that's, that's the one category that's spoken of in Psalm 62. And that's what they'll be judged on. But there's another kind that's mentioned in Psalm 62 as well. It says this in the first two verses, "...from Him comes my salvation." He alone is my rock and my salvation. And then verse 7, On God rests my salvation and my glory, my, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. So that's the other kind of person spoken of in Psalm 62. The person that knows their only hope for salvation is, is in the rock, is in God alone. So let's step back and clarify. If you ever take a theology course with me, one of the first things that we, we talk about is 
that words matter. And so when a statement is made and you're evaluating a statement, you've got to, to look, you pay attention closely to the words and the definitions of those words and, and so on. And that, that is certainly the case here. What I said is that everyone will be judged by our works. I did not say, and neither does Paul say, <clears throat> that we are saved by our works. I just saw a, a number of you go, whew. You see the difference, right? So our works are the evidence of our salvation, not the basis for it. But when the judgment day comes, judgment will be rendered according to works. So let's look at what Paul indicates here. He talks about the contrast in behavior between the saved and the lost. Because it's one thing to say, well, if you're, if you're saved, you'll be fine in eternity. If you're lost, you're going to be in trouble in eternity. And, and then the question has to come, well, am I saved or lost? Which one am I? Is it about my words? What, you know, how's this work? And so Paul here is addressing them and saying, look, this is what, this is what judgment day uh, will look like, and it's going to be based on your behavior. And then he talks about the behavior. Verse 7 he says, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. Remember, that's not how you're saved. That is evidence of the fact of saving faith. So this is who you are if there indeed is faith within you. If you're trusting in Christ, this is what it will look like from the outside. Break down the behavior of the saved, verse 7, to those who by patience and well-doing. So the idea is this, it's a continual thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's not that you did something good. It's that you seek to do that which is right. And you seek to do that which is good over and over. It's not that you're perfect at it. But that's what your life is, is to be characterized by. This, is, this fits with our membership vow that we take. Last week we took in, in members, and all of you who are members took the vow that you will seek to live a life that becomes a follower of Christ. In other words, that's fitting with a follower of Christ. That's what, yes, Lord, yes, congregation, this is what I, I will seek to do by his grace. And then it talks about seeking for glory and honor and immortality. The, the true believer whose hope is in God doesn't do good trying to earn favor with God. But living, it, it's living according to who we already are in Christ. It, it's the idea of our identity in Christ. Once you are in Christ, here's what we need to know remember I said words matter. And a lot of times we'll say, oh, we're all just a bunch of sinners. 
Well, you know, if, if we want to get technical, I don't always go around correcting people when they say that because I know what they mean. I've, I've made that kind of a statement. But here's the thing we need to know. We aren't, we aren't all a bunch of, if you're trusting in Christ alone, your identity is not as, as just a bunch of sinners. Your identity is how we end every service here. Children of the living God. That's your identity. Now, we happen to be children of the living God who sometimes sin. But when we do that, we're going contrary to our identity. Those that are outside of Christ, when they sin, they're going according to their identity. That, that's who they are. Of course they would sin. And that's why for the believer, for children of the living God, for the uh, one trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life, when we sin, it should be so out of character that that's where we feel guilt and the need to repent. Because we are doing that which we no longer are. We're going contrary to who we are. And that's, that's what it's talking about here. It's, it's not seeking good things in the creation, but seeking the Creator Himself. And then He contrasts the behavior of the unbeliever. Verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking. So, so by seeing the contrast, it helps us understand what He's saying the believer is. He's emphasizing that it's not about our, our self-glory, self-gratification, self-pleasing. For the unbeliever, it's not about honoring Christ. It's not about the truth. It's about the self. And then he goes on and says, And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There's an unwillingness to be taught and submit to the Word of God. Now, that's easy to see in lawless people. It's easy to see that in, in the shooter last week. Of course the wrath of God will fall upon him. And it will. And yet, Paul addresses uh, in, in that same general category. He addresses the hypocritical religious person who seek their own righteousness, who are trusting in their own works rather than in Christ. And that should be distressing. Because among us, I doubt that we have any shooters. But are we in danger of this self-righteousness? I've known some very wonderful and kind and thoughtful unbelievers. And I've known some pretty ugly acting believers. Sorry to say. So we have to discern that, and I'll tell you in a minute how you can determine which group you're really in. In the meantime, here's the frightening part. 
You might say, wait, you haven't told us the frightening part yet? No, here's the frightening part. And that is the contrast between what happens in eternity to the saved and the lost. Verse 9. There there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. This week I came across just a great little article um, by a a young woman, Nicole Cliff. And uh, I, I had to read it when I saw the title. It was how God messed up my happy atheist life. It's a great title. Maybe that says enough. But it, it was, it was a, an interesting account of this young woman that, you know, we like to, to think, well, they'll see Christians and then come to Christ and so on. And hers just wasn't the, the typical way an atheist changes their their mind, if there is a typical way. Um, She said she didn't feel any unmet needs. She was happy. She was enjoying her life. She was even okay with with, uh, Christians being Christians. And, uh, but then it basically, it goes back to the, it was the hound of heaven that kept after her. That was the only explanation until she came to Christ. But, but there was a fascinating statement that she, she made, and this struck me. She said, I, I know this sounds depressing, but I found the idea of life ending after death mildly reassuring in its finality. I'll say it again. She, she said this was when she was an atheist. She found the, the idea of life ending after death mildly reassuring in its finality. And, and what struck me about that is she, I'm sure she's not alone. In fact, it seems to me the only way one could be a, a happy atheist would be to comfort themselves in saying, yes, at the end of life, that's that. And I'm okay with that. I'm just going to enjoy my life. And then it'll all be over. And I suppose if that were true, you could be a happy atheist. But the Word of God says that's not the way it is. This life is not all there is. Paul, in these verses, contrasts eternal life for the saved with what eternity will look like for the lost. And everyone will be around forever. Now, that's not comforting if you're not prepared for eternity. This life is not all there is. Paul, in these Verses emphasizes he for the unbeliever, verse 8, he talks about wrath and fury. Verse 9, tribulation and distress. And, and that's without relief. It's not just till you pay for, for your sins. It's where we end this life is what our eternity will be spent like. 
right? And that's the frightening part. For the believer, verse 7, it will be glory and honor and immortality and glory and honor and peace. So how do they compare? One is eternal happiness. The other is eternal suffering with no possibility of relief, according to the Scripture. And then he gives what I would call for this little section an application. He says in verse 11, for God shows no partiality. Now, he had spoken to uh, the Jews and to uh, the Gentiles, and he's now saying, look, if either of you thinks that uh, you have a leg up on anyone else, get that thought out of your mind. If you Jews think because you, you had you know, the teachings of the Old Testament, you're in good shape, or you had the covenant, you're in good shape, get that thought out of your mind because on that day, everyone will be judged the same. He, God will not show partiality for us. Maybe the way we understand this verse is it's not about church member versus non-church member. God will show no partiality. It's not about one denomination or another denomination. God is not going to show partiality in this. Think of Jesus' teaching in terms of the big picture here. Matthew 19. Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Isn't that so typical? And, and somebody, if I just stopped right here, they might say, yeah, well, let's get to what good deeds we need. No, you, you're missing it if that's what you're getting. So how does he deal with this person that says, what, what good deed? You'd think that Jesus would say at this point, he missed a good opportunity here, but you would think he would say, because this is what I would say, It's not about doing good deeds. It's about faith in Christ. But Jesus doesn't say that. This young man says, what good deed uh, must I do? Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. What? (laughs) He's telling them to keep the commandments? But you're not saved that way. Go on. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, I I like that too. Which ones? I'll do, you know, hopefully it's only four or five of them. But (laughs) Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said, if you'd be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, Jesus could have stopped with any of these, you shall not murder, and if he had said, I've never murdered, then he could have done what he did over in in, uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and said, well, If you call your brother a fool in your heart, then you have murdered and you've broken that. He doesn't do all that. Uh, He he basically concedes, okay, you haven't done any of those outward things. But then what he does is Jesus, who knows all things, looks directly into his heart and he sees 
the, the big idol there. He's got other idols. But he sees the big one, and that's his possessions. He sees what this young man, in doing all these good things outwardly, he's got this huge idol there that when it comes down to it, well, here's his response. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Oh. He went away with his own idol and worshipped them. I belong to a, a service organization that is not, they're not Christian or related to any church. It's a, it's a community thing that I do in order to be a part of our community. And this week we had a, a speaker, and uh, he was, in, in the course of his uh, message, he was talking about historical stuff in the area, and he talked about an aunt of his who had done something very nice for, uh, for uh, the Roman Catholic Church, had donated uh, some land and a very valuable land and so on. And he said, yes, she, she loved to say, I know that I'll find myself in a very good place in heaven because of what, uh, what I did for that church. And then he said, I hope I can be on her coattails to get to heaven. How sadly wrong they both were. People hoping to balance the big scale in the sky and get to heaven by doing enough good to outweigh the bad, that's religion, that's not Christianity. And that's in the same category as the, you know, even the, the 9-11 bombers who lived a, just a debaucherous life for those weeks leading up to, to that deed that they did that day because they were convinced that in their martyrdom to their God, that that would erase all those bad things that they were doing. And we scoff at that. But how different from anyone here that is hoping against hope that your good is outweighing your bad. Every week here at St. Andrews, we have unbelievers attend. And I'm glad you're here, especially if you're, you're, you're feeling that you can be honest enough about it where you can be yourself and not pretend you're something that you're not. Some of you know that you're an unbeliever, but you're trying to be good and kind and thoughtful, a good husband, a good wife, and so on. And maybe you're thinking, I hope this is enough if even for a moment you think that it's going to be those works that save you. I'll give you the answer whether it's enough. It's not. 
It just isn't. You're like the rich young man. May not be rich as you love, but it's something else if it's not Christ. But you who are here, if you claim to be a believer, but you're not seeking to live a holy life, I didn't say if you're not living a perfect life, but if you're not seeking to live a holy life, you need to ask yourself whether you really are a believer. Paul doesn't cut any slack in terms of how we are to live once we are saved. For you who believe, maybe you feel like this isn't such good news that, <laughs> you know, I, I, I like the grace part, how we're saved, but now you're saying it, it does matter how we live? Absolutely. And it matters for your eternity. Not whether you're going to, to live eternal life in the presence of God, but how you're going to live that, that life. If you believe something different than that prior to this, I, I wouldn't be doing you a favor if I let you continue to believe that wrongly. But here's what I want to leave all of us with. In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation 20, we see the, the same kind of thing talked about in verse 11. John in his vision says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. He's saying everyone's there. And, and the implication is that all of the deeds of all mankind, the lost and the saved, are written in, in those books. How is that good news for us? Yes, you will receive rewards according to the works. Yes, you'll stand with everyone else on the fearsome day of judgment. But then here's the great news. Verse 17. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. <laughs> you know what's in that? The great news is this other book then will be opened, and it doesn't have, doesn't have works. It's got names. Because the names of the people in there are those who will be ultimately living in eternity with Christ because of the work He did and accomplished. That's the book of the names of those who are not trusting in their own works, but who trust in Christ alone for their eternal life. That's the good news. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, for that great hope that is before us, the blessed hope. The blessed hope of, of salvation in Christ. Will you, because of who we are in Christ, 
Help us to be motivated to live according to who we are. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.